This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. Welcome to this edition of How We See It. I'm John Morris. Friends, I've got to tell you, there are some big events coming to the Bay Area, and one is coming in May. It's called the Roar of the Rosary. What a name, and what an event this promises to be. And I've uh, been blessed today to have two of the organizers here to talk a little bit about what the Roar of the Rosary is and how you and your family and your friends and your parish can all get involved and come to the Strass Center in May. I want to welcome Armando Cheveria from the Diocese of St. Petersburg and Tony Scarpo, who is one of the organizers of the event. Tony, tell us about the Roar of the Rosary. How, how are you moved to help get this thing started? Thank you for having me. In a simple word, a dream. It all came to me in a dream. I would say probably November 30th or so. It was one of those twilight hours where I had several things on my mind and on my heart. Over the last year and a half, uh, my wife and I and family had become close personal friends with Cardinal Burke, and we had just spent three days with him in the Vatican and at his home, actually, and and it was just a a beautiful thing to be able to spend time with him and and have the family members there. And uh, we left with so many wonderful things on our mind and in our heart, and then combine that with just a, a combination of things. And in the same dream, actually, my deceased mother had come to me many years ago, about 30 years ago, she passed away with MS. And quite frankly, she suffered a lot. She suffered in the final years of her life, devout Catholic, never once put down her rosary, always prayed the rosary. And it was amazing to me as a young boy because that was the one bit of faith and hope that she always clung on to, and it it touched my heart. And then the final thing that came to me is what the youth of today across America, really the world, have been suffering from, and that is many of them have been pulled from our faith. And for various reasons, they've been pulled away. We as parents have done a good job of bringing them to the faith, but sometimes through high school or college or other reasons, they tend to wane or get pulled from the faith. And all of those things together were very restless in my mind. And I woke up that morning and told my wife, I said, we're doing something and we're doing something big. We're going to create an event. We're going to pick up the phone and call Cardinal Burke. We're going to call it the roar of the rosary. And we are going to bring back the youth that have decided to possibly leave our faith or are concerned about their faith back to the church and we're going to do it in a central way. We're going to do it at the Stras Performing Arts Center in the Morsani Hall. And we're going to pack it with 2,600 people. And Cardinal Burke, along with Bishop Parks, as well as some other wonderful guest speakers that we're going to have, we are going to make that entire auditorium roar when we say the rosary. A lot of people have dreams about what they want in their faith and so forth. To, to go out and, and rent the Stras. Yes. And uh, to have a relationship with Colonel Burke, yes. not everybody has that opportunity. How did this come about for you? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I'm still occasionally at times pinching myself. I, I, I suppose a year and a half ago, we met Cardinal Burke, and it just became beautiful. We, we, we talked a lot. We've got to know one another. My wife got to know him, my children. And uh, one day, uh, as we were saying goodbye, the family was saying goodbye to him, uh, at, uh, at one of the functions that we all were together, he looked at me, as you 
say your parting greetings. And he looked at me and he goes, uh, we'll see you uh, in June at the Vatican, correct? And I looked at him and I thought he was teasing. And I thought his, uh, I thought Canon Sharp, his personal secretary, was teasing me. I was bewildered. And I looked at him and said, are you serious? He said, yes, June, you'll be there. Well, you just don't question that. And we were there. And from that point forward, the relationship, not just with Barbara and myself, but my children who are 18 and 21 now, but their friends who have gone to Catholic schools, he became very close with them. And it was almost as if I had passed the baton to the young generation. So Barbara and I and a few other adults that were were spending time with him in the Vatican, we began to watch this transition. He was hungry for information. He wanted to know what was going on with the youth of today, where their heart was, where their heart was in the faith. And so these group of young people spoke to him for hours, and it's kind of funny. We just sat back in the room, but I knew what he was doing. And from that point forward, we kept in touch. And for whatever reason, when I had this dream and I knew that I picked up the phone and called him, I knew the answer was going to be yes. And it was. It was Mm -hmm. yes immediately. And we're so thrilled to have the diocese involved because what it has done is it has it has branched out to so many people that wouldn't have known this. And we like to say we would like about 75, 70 to 75 percent of the audience to be the youth. When people ask me the youth, I say 15 to 30 years old. That's okay. the goal. That was going to be my question, 15 to 30 years old. That's the goal. Yes, but especially those that have questioned their faith or have drifted. We are hoping that they come, they will come, but really and truly it's open to anyone that wants to participate in this amazing event. Now, when I hear the Stras, I'm thinking Hamilton, Annie, you know, these different productions. I'm paying $152, $250 and up for per ticket. I understand this is a free event. Well, it is a free event, but let me speak to that a little bit more. Sure. Because I'm go ahead. When you say that, right, this idea of the theater, right, and these kind of high-quality production events, I think that our intention with the, the spiritual side, you know, recognizing that we believe that Our Lady is really guiding this process, is that we, we're not going to shy away from that experience, meaning that that theatrical encounters is going to be part of this event. We'll have Eucharistic Adoration as well, you know, drawn close to the Lord, in his um, Eucharist, but we're, we're going to have some, I'm going to call them treats, right? This uh, opening act. And we'll have a visual after the conclusion of the moment of adoration outside where, so I think my, my point is that I, I don't want to share enough because I think just the experience itself is going to be great. We're going to take into consideration the, the theater, right? And you utilize as best as we can. But I guess my point is it's a free event. Is that correct? Yes, it is. It is so Along with this dream came the realization that there was going to be a cost, right? And it was going to be spread out all over. I will tell you that in many ways, we, all of us, I am blessed because I shared this idea with just a few people. You know, I wasn't sure if I was crazy or if this was really going to happen. So I had to have a touchstone, right? And I, and I shared this event with some people and they said, you're absolutely onto something. This is amazing. And we're going to do it. So several people jumped in, very wonderful, wonderful people jumped in to assist us with the cost of this. So you are correct. 
if we were to price these tickets, they would be 100 to $200 a piece. The, it is a, a free event to whomever gets that ticket. Now, mind you, it's all about registration, and we'll talk about sure. that in a second. But there is no cost to the individual. We are picking up the entire cost. And with the participation of the diocese, and, and, and I, I should say this, Armando, the brainstorming, the collaboration, it's just been nothing but wonderful on we want so badly to tell you what we're doing, but so much of it's kind of a surprise. Sure. So, and, and details will be coming out uh, as we get closer to the event. But I guess the point is there are a number of benefactors that have stepped up and said, we have a vision that we want to see come to fruition, and we're willing to share of our, our gifts from God in order to have the general public those 15 to 30-year-olds and more, whatever is on your heart, families, we want you to bring the kids to come out and experience this roar of the rosary. Mark your calendars, Friday, May 10th, doors open at 6 p.m. there at the Straz. Make sure you get there early to secure your spot. Uh, You mentioned, Armando, a moment ago, Eucharistic adoration and a procession, I believe? Yes, a procession right into the Riverwalk. Um, it really was a Holy Spirit kind of moment because we were having a difficult time des- deciding how to process, you know, because there are certain locations that were not available. And when we looked at the space, we discovered that there was a body of water right next to the Straz. So we're actually going to finish the procession right onto a boat. The monstrance will come onto a boat and we'll have a Marian consecration and benediction from the boat looking um, alongside the river walk as we have a vigil um, and singing our, our Ave to, to, our, to our, our Blessed Mother. Tony, as I understand it in our pre-interview, your daughter attended the Eucharistic encounter, and she was quite moved, and her experience moved you. It did. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't know about the encounter, and, and, and Olivia goes to the University of Florida, and one day I heard that they were carpooling and taking a van from Gainesville back to Tampa, and I thought she was coming to visit me, but she wasn't. She was going to the encounter, and I said, what's going on down there? Tell me all about it. So she began to tell me about it, and I'm assuming I didn't hear about it because it quite frankly sold out so quickly. So she spent the entire day and came home, and, and it was very important for her to sit me down that night and to tell me everything that happened at this encounter. She wanted to teach me what she had seen, what she had learned, who she had hear speak, right, some of the people that she had met. And my mind was spinning on how this could have happened. I didn't know that Armando was involved. I didn't know that Mike was involved. I didn't know what had happened. And from there, I said, well, wow, that was 700, 750 people. And, and so much about the Stras and the location and the choice for the Stras is that it's a, it's a defined number of 2,610 people. So I thought if Armando and Mike and the team could pull that off, we can pull this off because I believe that people are hungry for this. For this event, will there be food available? Will there be vendors? Will there be ministry exhibitors? So we have arranged with the Stras, just as if you were going to see a theater, a production, or a concert, all of the windows will be open for food and snacks and beverages. So um, I would encourage those who attend to probably have a light dinner, okay? But if they don't, 
there, you, there is for purchase water and Cokes and sodas and snacks and hamburgers and hot dogs. There's enough to make sure you're taken care of. Everyone will be taken care of. It will be, that will be at their cost. That is the only thing at their cost. Parking. Yes. How's that going to work? Because, you know, some people are a little funny about going downtown. It is a challenge. Parking, because not so much... Because the Strass, the Strass used to have fantastic parking, but all of that property has been sold. And if you look down there now, there are lots of apartments, right? So let me be very specific about this. The one thing that has not changed in downtown Tampa is the Poe Garage. The Poe uh, City Parking Garage is only 20 steps from the Strass. It is very inexpensive. It's a city parking garage, and I would highly encourage that everyone park there or Uber or load up with their friends in, in, a, in a car or a van, and, and, and should we do something with the parishes, and should we do something where we might be able to assist with small buses? But but if we just focus on the Poe garage, everything's going to be fine, and it's very reasonable rates for parking. How do I get a ticket? There is a website called roaroftherosary.org, so that's um, R. O-A-R, so ROAR, uh, of the rosary.org, and you'll be able to find the registration link there. So we, we encourage anyone who's interested to consider registering and see if you can get in because we do have limited seats and registrations have begun to come in, those who have heard right, through word of mouth, but we will cap it off at a certain amount. So okay. um, we encourage those who may be interested in attending and maybe inviting others to, to attend to join us. And friends, you can also go to our website, myspiritfm.com. We'll have a link on our homepage, so you can click right on that uh, Roar of the Rosary story, and it'll take you right to the registration page and for all the information that you might need. Armando, we've been talking about May 10th as that event. Doors open at 6, event starts at 7, but the next day there's something also going on at the Cathedral of St. Jude. The next day is the Marian Congress, and this World of the Rosary, at least this year, is kind of unique because it kind of ties into the initiative from the diocese is to have this Marian Congress every year, and um, I believe it's been going on for several years. So there's a great desire from the community and the committee there with the Marian Congress to be able to have people come and participate in this Marian Congress because this year they're going to talk about the Holy Family and and how that's lived out, and particularly through the um, the life of certain people that we're going to be highlighting. So, um, so we're pretty excited to know that these two initiatives are being led with the support of the diocese and the the, the folks involved in it. And we're actually going to see some folks that are part of the Marian Congress to be part of the Road of the Rosary, as well as um, the Road of the Rosary be part of the Marian Congress. So we're looking forward to that. My friends, mark your calendars. Friday, May 10th, doors open at 6 p.m. there at the Stras. The program starts at 7 p.m., so make sure you get there early to secure your spot. Tony Scarpo, Armando Cheveria, thank you both for coming in today and sharing this exciting vision of what's to come here in Tampa Bay. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Yes. Thank you. Friends, when we come back, we're going to hear about the Apostle of the Impossible. The relic of St. Jude the Apostle is coming to the Bay Area next week. Stay tuned. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. 
Now, back to our program. I'm talking with Father Carlos Martins, the director of the Treasures of the Church, who are bringing the relic of St. Jude the Apostle to our Diocese of St. Petersburg. Father Martins, thanks for joining us today. Sure, my pleasure. So tell us about who St. Jude the Apostle was. So St. Jude was one of the original 12 apostles. He is actually the first cousin of Jesus Christ. Uh, His mother was Mary of Clopas, one of the three Marys that stood at the foot of the cross at the Lord's crucifixion. The Church Fathers inform us Mary of Clopas and the Blessed Virgin are blood sisters, making Jude uh, Mary of Clopas' son, first cousins with the Lord. So he's one of the original twelve and has developed an immense popularity. Uh, So he is easily among the most popular saints in the Church. There are more shrines dedicated to St. Jude worldwide than to any other saint save the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because he's St. Jude, sometimes he might get confused with Judas. Correct, yeah. So his name is Judas. There were two Judases among the Twelve Apostles, just like there were two Simons and there were two Jameses. So Jude, we, we in English politely abbreviate his name to Jude from Judas to distinguish him from the betrayer, but they are two distinct individuals. So this arm is the major relic of St. Jude that is extant for veneration. His body, his skeleton, is beneath St. Peter's Basilica within the crypt of the original Constantinian Basilica, but it is inaccessible. It would require an archaeological dig to retrieve it. At the time of that ceiling, 500 years ago, at the time that the current basilica was built, his right arm was removed, and that is what is traveling right now. So was he like in a a coffin, or was he—as I've seen some of the catacombs, and there's just bones everywhere. Do we know factually that this was actually his arm? Uh, We do. We do. So he was martyred in the Middle East, and his skeleton, along with Simon the Apostles, was brought by Constantine the Great in 335 to Rome, and he placed it within the lower basilica— of the first Vatican Basilica that he erected to St. Peter. The the Basilica of St. Peter in the Vatican is built in the shape of a giant cross. In the left wing of that cross, at the end of that wing, is a high altar, uh, what is known as the Altar of St. Joseph. And beneath that altar are the skeletons of Simon and Jude. Now, they are three stories below that altar. They are in the original crypt of the Constantinian Basilica. So when the current basilica was built, the Pope wanted it erected as quickly as possible. Now, it took 75 years to build. Now, that was lightning fast during that time. But he didn't want to slow it down any further by moving the sarcophagi that were in the lower basilica into the new church. He just said, we're going to build the foundation of the new basilica over top of the foundation of the Constantinian Basilica. But before they did that, they removed Jude's right arm. Why is St. Jude known as the Apostle of the Impossible? Because in the around the year 500, something strange happened. A kind of cancerous thinking emerged, whereby people had this thought. It's, it's absurd, but this is exactly what happened. If I pray to St. Judas, Judas, of course, being his actual name, my prayers may inadvertently go to Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, and so they won't be hurt. Now, this thinking enveloped the entire Christian world. And so from the year 500 until 1700, 
there was no devotion to St. Jude the Apostle in the Church until 1700, when there was a divine act. It had to be divine, because it occurred around the world simultaneously. What occurred was people needing heavenly intervention and having consulted every other saint and having come up short, they thought, you know, I've tried everyone else. What have I got to lose? I'll send my prayers towards St. Jude. And every one of them was knocked out of the ballpark. So from that time, he became known as the patron saint of hopeless cases and desperate situations, because only hopeless cases and desperate situations were given him. Why is this kind of tour important to the faithful? Well, because St. Jude is a hero to great many. You know, there, uh, as I mentioned, there are more shrines to St. Jude than to any, uh, any, other, uh, any other saint, save the Mother of God. And this makes the faith tangible and real. The presence of, of a relic makes the faith incarnational, and, and it facilitates a kind of new kind of intimacy. And, you know, as humans, we're wired, we're created by God to, to feel this connection to even those who are lost. I mean, think about when the last time you visited someone's grave in a cemetery, a relative perhaps, when you were there, you spoke to the relative as if that relative was there living. Right? People speak out loud. You know, like, hi, Tommy, you know, I miss you. So we do this because God is embedded in us to communicate with the dead. So presumably they are hearing us. Although we can't see them, we can't access them. All human cultures do this. It's it's an instinct put in us by God, to, to use a theological term. It's part of the natural law. And so we feel, people feel, an intimacy, a devotion to the saint when they're in the presence of the relics. Relics are also instruments whereby God heals. We hear about in Scripture, every time relics are mentioned, two things always occur. A, there is always a healing, and B, touches the way by which the healing comes about. Not because relics are magical, but because the entire saint is present in his or her relics. In other words, the soul of the saint, which is even now in heaven, beholding God face to face, that same soul is just as present in his or her relics. We have a number of Catholics and non-Catholics that listen to the station, and they find it kind of strange that we venerate such things. But I think you gave a pretty good explanation. But you've heard the the phrase, you know, when we're laid to rest, it's our final resting place. Is it wrong to dig up bones and, for lack of a better term, take them on a tour? Or is this just relegated to saints? Or, I mean, there's something, you know, honestly, a little strange about it. Well, not if we keep in mind that the saints are members, they're limbs of the body of Christ, right? So somebody who is a saint is a part of Christ's mystical body, and his physical remains or her physical remains no less than the soul, because that body that housed a saint, that embodied a saint, that body is going to be resurrected, and it's going to be so filled with God that it becomes a a part of his mystical body. And the proof is in the pudding, whereby God works the miraculous in the presence of relics. And, and from the Church's beginning, there was Mass, was the, the Eucharist was always celebrated over the tombs of the saints, and that continues to this day. So every altar has relics of the saints embedded into it. This is why the priest kisses the altar at the start and at the end of Mass. What he is doing is he's venerating the relics that are embedded inside the altar. What are first-class and second-class and third-class relics? How do, how do we differentiate between the two? 
First-class relics of the body or any part of the body of a saint. Second-class relics are anything a saint personally owns, such as clothing or an object like a book, for example. Third-class relics are any object touched to a first, second, or another third-class relic of a saint. In, in terms of healing, all classes have the same efficaciousness, if you will. So we hear about in Acts chapter 19, for example, St. Paul the Apostle was so holy, they would touch him with rags, they would place those rags on the sick, and it says two things would occur, their diseases would leave them, and if they had any evil spirits, they would depart from them. Have you seen any healings or miracles there, or anything there, from, from there this tour? every day. From the, there are healings every day. On this so I, uh, so I, at, at, at the site, on the location, I, I, will share, I will share some of them, especially during the liturgy. But there are healings every day. I get, I get testimonies, accounts, people with cancerous tumors, the tumors are gone. Some are instantaneous. Some it's the following morning. Mm. They wake up with the affliction, without the affliction. You're going to be at St. Paul's in Tampa on uh, February 28th, and then at St. Jude the Cathedral on the 29th. What will people be expected to see when they walk into the cathedral? I mean, will there be a, a side place uh, or lighting or anything where the, the relic is going to be, and will there be a Mass celebrated on that day? Well, what they're going to find is that there's a queue. There's going to be a line that they join. They're expected to be a whole lot of people. Uh, so the earlier people can come, the better. Uh, the relic is going to be set up in front of the main altar, and that queue is going to snake around the church and through the corridors and probably outside. And, of course, there's no cost to this. How much time would, should I budget to attend this kind of event? You know, uh, it's impossible for me to answer that. It varies with each location slightly. It varies by the time of the day. It varies based on the weather of the day. It, I, I just really don't sure. have an answer for okay. that. Okay. When the relic isn't on tour, when St. Jude's not on tour... Do you have a because you're you're involved with the treasures of the church? Does it does it stay in a, uh, in, in a in a cathedral or a basilica or something like that? It is housed in Rome. This is the first time that Jude's major relics have left Italy since being brought there by Constantine the Great in 335. Wow! You do other tours like this this also, or I do major tours for the Holy See. Okay. Uh, so I travel the world with different exhibits of relics. Uh, will there be any uh, tours? I mean, you, you're coming to the Tampa Bay area. Where do you go after that? Well, the schedule is on the website of the tour, which is apostleoftheimpossible.com. So if my family is going to Rome to visit, is there a place where we can see a collection of these kind of relics? They're all over the, the, the Eternal City. Okay. Yeah, there, there are relic exhibits in, in every parish. Okay. All right. I, one day I, I hope to make it there. Well, Father Carlos, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us and, and letting us know a little bit about the history of St. Jude and our role as Catholics in venerating these great saints. Thank you so much. Okay. You're most welcome. God bless you all. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.